0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. PETA report where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. plus.
1: Good day and welcome to our podcast in support of Green Industry Pros. Article number 10 on management, and specifically management as a discipline. Uh, This is William Eastman. I'm going to be your host for the next few minutes. I am the managing partner for GrowthWorks Media, an intellectual property company focused on small business growth. And I'm also a senior consultant with the Greenmark Corporation. And you have read a number of our articles over the last 18 months in Green Industry Pros Magazine. Now, this is in support of the article that's going to be up this coming month, I believe in June, July. And the purpose behind this was one to set the context, and number two, to provide some meat on the bones of the article. So there are a few things we're gonna talk about that are not in the article, and that is the issue of management discipline and what are really the five disciplines that will make any manager successful in the business. So I'm gonna take this from big to small. So, but I wanna start with a, a basic premise, and that is how the owner of the business manages, establishes the prototype of how management occurs in the business. So an example is that one of the things that our business does, GrowthWorks and Greenmark, both companies, we do business turnarounds. And I happened to be in a position where I was made number two executive vice president of the company and we made cabinets. And so one of the first things I did was just observe how the business is being managed. I went to the floor, watched meetings, et cetera. And one of the things I quickly established is that there is no discipline of management. That the owner basically didn't really interact with people, stayed in his office, except that there was a crisis, then came out and did the normal owner routine of yelling and screaming. Well, the person who was responsible for running the manufacturing process did exactly the same thing. And so you had this cascading approach. Here I am, uh, the number two guy in the company, on the floor at 6 in the morning when the incoming shift comes in. And there's nobody there to give them a pep rally. There's nobody there to talk them through what today's production is going to be. Nobody's there to talk them through what's going to happen that week and the priorities. And so basically, we wondered why we weren't making any money. And it was a collection of not making parts fast enough uh, as well as producing them at uh, at bad quality. And so how you as the owner establish your management approach, and that's who I'm talking to predominantly here, will establish how everybody else does it. So let me give you the five disciplines for you to consider. Discipline number one is that the first role of management is to bring order out of chaos because that is where most small businesses are. As you look and you grow the company, at some point as the owner, where you were, you were doing the work and you were basically a glorified technician and maybe you were in a supervisory role. but at some point there was more work than you could handle nor anybody else and so the day became a, a, a daily fire drill of we've got all these crises which ones we deal with first and so what the role of management is is to take a look at this and say I've got to get this organized I've got to get this under some sort of control because employees don't function well in chaos customers don't have great experiences in chaos and certainly your bank statement doesn't look good during chaos so that is the number one role in business is I've got to organize this in a way that the day is much more predictable and we have methods for dealing with with the fire drills Um, you go to a fire department and what do they do they constantly practice for the fire knowing it's going to come up, but they don't know when. I spent time in the Coast Guard, and what did we do? We spent time getting ready to get underway to pick up somebody whose boat was sinking. We didn't know when the boat was going to sink, but when it happened, we were practiced. We knew what we were doing. So typically what happens here, this is when you you map your processes, which we talked about in earlier uh, shows. This is also where you write standard operating procedures. You have position descriptions. That's how you bring order out of the chaos. Number two, and that is removing results obstacles. Now, let me talk about what this looks like in a conversation with an individual to make my point. My number one job on the floor was to walk up to my supervisors and say, What obstacles are preventing you from doing quality work today? Or what obstacles are preventing you from meeting budget today? Or what obstacles are preventing you from meeting your production quotas. In other words, my job as a manager, my second discipline is to find out from my people what obstacles are preventing them from doing the job correctly and remove them. Because these obstacles are outside of the individual. And if you're expecting, or in most cases, what we don't, we don't expect, we demand, if you demand high-quality performance, and people have all these obstacles in the way. I can tell you two things. Number one, I don't care how much you demand it. You're not going to get it. And number two, you're going to alienate the workforce because, hell, they know this. So they're like going, why is he beating me up? I didn't do this. And so removing obstacles, to performance or I'll call results obstacles, is my number two job of my discipline. Okay, now this gets us into the article because I set the groundwork here. The third discipline here is maximizing the use of resources and that's why our emphasis was on scheduling uh, because I could tell you right now is that 80% of the gross margin in any business comes from its scheduling. Okay, So think about that for a second. 80% of your gross margin comes from scheduling. So what do I have to do? I have to have the ability to to schedule work by use of resources which is uh, equipment, It's people, it's raw materials, it's inventory, etc. When I look at a particular day, how do I jam in all of the right elements to get as much done in that day as I possibly can, while keeping the burden on individuals basically balanced? What I mean by that is, I don't want to make 100 on Monday, 60 on Tuesday, 70 on Wednesday. Say that the average number is 85 for the week, I want to make 85 a day, even if that doesn't quite match. The demand per day. Why? Because I want to put people under the even strain. That is critical for me on terms of scheduling. Management discipline number four is meeting budget. And what this is is work efficiency. And what I mean by meeting budget and work efficiency is that one of the first things I did when I did the turnaround is I handed budgets to all the supervisors and said here are the raw materials you have today, here's the labor hours that you have, here are the units that need to be produced. Your job is to come in in budget or below it. And what we were now looking at is the efficiency of each one of the individual machines or each one of the processes. In our particular case, we had three machines being managed by a supervisor, and then we had a basically manual assembly area being managed by a supervisor. So we had the ability to measure four different pieces to say there's a budget for each one of those. And in management discipline number five is the elimination waste. Or another way of saying it, you cannot inspect quality into anything. Quality is built in to the products and services that we provide. So how do I get my employees done? Because if I look at organizational hierarchy, scheduling is a role of management. Now I'm going back and forth between manager and management. And so management is a function, um, manager is an, is a person, but. What I'm looking to do here is that maximizing the use of resources is typically a management job, meeting budget is typically a supervisor job, but they're managing that process, and then eliminating waste is basically the job of the individual employees. Now, if I understand that, where I go next in this issue of creating managers makes sense because when I look at managers, if this is if these are the five disciplines that they need to uh, exhibit to be successful. Then I need to take a look at two parts of them. I need to take a look at what skill sets they need to have, and I need to take a look at what personal characteristics they need to be successful. Because a lot of times, good managers don't make good entrepreneurs. I definitely know for certain is good entrepreneurs don't make good managers because entrepreneurs like everything kind of helter-skelter. They like to shoot from the hip. It kind of gives them a buzz, which is fun when you're small, when you get bigger, and you're in the company trying to get stuff done. Not so much fun. So here are the three skill sets in the article. Number one is technical skills. Number two is uh, people skills. And number three is conceptual skills. Now technical skills are specific to whatever the job is. In other words, if I'm I'm, uh, in the landscape business and I'm looking at design build, then there are probably four or five skill sets. One of the skill sets would be the operation of heavy equipment. Another skill set would be being a mason. Another skill set would be working with concrete. Another skill set would be maybe electrician in terms of I've got to wire stuff up. And so I want to take a look at each one of those technical skills that are required for that job. The next set of skills that are required are people skills, and that is my ability to get people to work together collaboratively to get a job done. Now, if I've got people, even if I have jobs where I have just one individual here and one individual there, i still got the issue of the interaction between myself and them. So people skills are critical for managers. And in conceptual skills is my ability to see the bigger picture, my ability to understand the impact of jobs being done correctly or incorrectly. It's my ability to understand uh, perhaps the whole process of how we sell and what expectations were created. Um, so those are the three skill sets. Now, if I look at frontline employees, uh, what's the mix? Frontline employees, it's almost entirely technical skills. I would say probably of the skills that I need with a landscape technician, whether it's um, in maintenance or in design build or in turf or in snow, is can they do the specific thing they need that I've hired them to do? And then probably the remaining 10%, probably eight of that is gonna be spent on people skills because I need them to at least be somewhat able to get along with others. And as far as conceptual skills, if they understand what's going on in the bigger picture, That's wonderful, but I don't really need it because I'm managing that. Now, if I go up a level and say, all right, now what I want to do is I want to hire a first-line supervisor, the skill set changes a little bit. And so what do I need to look for here? Well, first of all, you know that you can't put somebody in a supervisory role that's incompetent technically for the job. Because that will take you nowhere. On the other hand, is the mistake that we make is that we uh, hire the best one. We say, okay, of the four people here, clearly my best technician is Bill. And I'm going to hire Bill. But the problem is that Bill may have horrible people skills. And I have another person that's working down there. And Stephen is not as good as Bill. Does not turn out as much work, uh, high quality. But Stephen's work is good. And he gets along with everybody. And everybody seems to like working with him. In this scenario, Stephen may make a better choice. Now, I'm not basing this on liking, because I don't think liking is a, is a really the issue here. The issue is is that you can can you get people to do things they don't want to do and not be annoyed about it. And somebody who has the people skills to be liked probably has the people skills to sell those type of jobs. So if I look at a first line supervisor, technical st- skills are still important, but it's gone from 90 to maybe 50. And that of the remaining 50%, probably 40, yet, is people skills and the remaining 10% is technical because now I need, I I definitely need them to begin to understand how the company is making money because if they're not bringing jobs in on budget, we're not making any dollars. And that is critical to my business. Uh, now, if I look at bringing somebody up to the management level, let's take a look at how those skills change again and that is managers you know who are managing supervision you can probably back the technical skills around 30 percent that leaves you 70. you can split that 70 percent 35 35 between human and conceptual because what the manager still needs some technical ability and i can tell you right now is that if you go another level or two levels up in management or go back to my scenario when i was working in a manufacturing setting I was too i was the second level of management and you know what i knew about making um, cabinets nothing and after eight months you know what i know about making cabinets next to nothing because at that level of management i don't need any real technical skills i need people skills and conceptual skills because i have people working for me who know who know what they're doing that first level of management you would say about 30 percent of the job is technical skills because their supervisor is going to be reporting to them. They're going to be bringing in obstacles. They've got to have the ability to go, yeah, we'll do this, do that. But the real focus is, is going to be on the people skills and it's going to be on conceptual skills. If a manager doesn't get how we're making money and how we're growing the business, then they shouldn't be there. Now here's the, here's the important point before I move on to the next set of issues and that's this, and that is so many times we promote people for the past. Uh, We look at them and we say, for the job that they're currently doing, we're going to promote them, the best person in the current job, promote them for the future job. And and the reality is we're promoting people uh, for the past. And a lot of times those past positions don't fit. If you look at any organization, where are the areas in competence? One area in competence is taking technicians and making supervisors. The next one is supervisors making the jump to manager. Okay, now most organizations, the big companies, have a wide range of managerial levels, probably three or four or five, until you get to the executive level. And here's the next level of incompetence because how many tech, how much tech, uh, technical skills do you need to be the executive? Very little. People skills, believe it or not, very little. Where are most of the skill sets? It's conceptual because what is your job? Your job is to think about where the business needs to be in five years given what you can predict or estimate is going to occur. That is definitely a conceptual skill. So those are the levels of incompetence that people go through. Now, let's talk about personal attributes. So here's, those are the skill sets. Now let me hit you up with personal attributes. There are two that I think stand out over anything else. Number one is nobody's going to be successful in management if they can't manage themselves. If they cannot manage their calendar, if they can't manage their day, they can't manage anything else. If, if their life is helter-skelter, they can't manage a group of people or a department or a, a truck. you got to get them out of that role because what they're doing with themselves, and that was kind of my opening statement with business owners, set the tone for what management uh, as a discipline looks like in the firm, is that I want people who understand how to manage their own time. Uh, and, and we did an article on this not a, not too long back, so you can take a look at some of the uh, articles in, in Green industry Pro magazine and see it there. The other one is is working under pressure, which is not a topic that we've talked about before. And the, And what's critical about this is that if you look at the work of anybody from first line supervisor through the ranks of middle management, and what can you you basically say? and that is is that you're doing a great, deal of work at an unrelenting pace and that the work has high variety you could be working on x you know right now and next thing you know you're popping up with y and they have nothing to do with each other like you're working on we've got an equipment breakdown over here so i'm trying to figure out how we're going to replace that piece of equipment i'm working with a supplier maybe trying to get a lease and then over here i've got a sexual harassment suit um and my day could be filled up with kind of bouncing around like a ping pong ball Between those also it's highly fragmented I don't have um, I typically never have more than 20 or 30 minutes at one time on any topic before I move on to the next one and so I got this particular day that I may do 50 things in a day and never have more than 10 or 15 minutes to work on it and a lot of those items have nothing to do with each other except that they're inside the business so that is the nature of if you are anywhere from a first-line supervisor to a middle manager In any organization and what that requires is that you have the ability to work under pressure and what does work under pressure mean is that you can you control go back to self-management you control what can be controlled control the controllable and then for the remainder of it is that you understand that this is not under your control and you keep your composure you don't let it get you down. You don't let you bum it bum you out. It doesn't let you. You don't let it make you fly off the handle. In other words, what you got to do is keep an even keel. Because I go back to management discipline number one, and that is you got to bring the order out of chaos. If what you do creates chaos, then the organization is sunk. Um, one of the places that I worked many years ago, I was a I managed a number of consulting projects around the United States, and at the time we were working mostly in the automotive industry with uh, America's largest manufacturer and their tier one suppliers. And I would just constantly say to my project managers who were working in individual plants, never get worried unless you, I look worried. In other words, with all that's going on and everything that's weird, and we had plenty of weird stuff because we were always right at that edge between le- uh, management and labor. So we were always the union and management were constantly going at it. And we were in kind of in the middle of all that i just told my people is that if i don't look worried don't get worried and that was my way of bringing order out of the chaos that we were in because a lot of it we did not control how do i make this work for me so in the last part of the article we talked about a training schedule so here's the way i would go about this because what i want to do is i want to grow my own managers Uh, i don't want to hire off the street unless i can possibly uh, unless i have no choice and even in large corporations that's kind of generally the rule is that the only time they go outside is either they absolutely do not have any qualified candidates, or there's a particular technology for which they don't have the expertise and it's gonna to take too long to develop it. So most companies wanna bring at least 75% of their promotions, uh, whether that's from technician, supervisor, supervisor, manager, manager, executive, they wanna do that internally. So here's a recommendation I have, and we've done this with a number of clients, and is that at the technician level, and notice I'm not calling them laborers because that's an insult. And if you're trying to talk to people about landscaping being a profession, as opposed to just trading time for money, then I need to, I need to perhaps make the job sound more professional. So I could, would create two levels of uh, technician: Tech One, Tech Two. Tech Two is the entry point. And when you're a Tech Two, what do we do? You're trained on a single technical skill. That's it. Single technical skill. You know. So if that's um, if that's running a cement mixer. If that is um, using a shovel, if that's a lawnmower, if that's a sprayer, I mean, you pick it. What I want to do is with T1s or T2s is I want to take them single skill at a time and train them. So let's say there's five skills in maintenance, five skill areas in maintenance. uh, I want to make sure that my T2s go through each one of those in that team so that they understand. They understand mowing, pruning mulching edging uh, cleaning up in other words i want to put them in each one of those jobs once they match to one of them i want to put them in all the jobs together and what am i going to do when they've done all that i'm going to promote them to t1s and so that's going to be a increase in pay and a little change of venue and so at one landscape company what we did is that that person when they became a technician level one or t1 once a week they went on a different crew. So I took a guy from uh, landscape maintenance and put him in a design build team for a day. Now, over there, he was just a laborer. But what happened is he then began to pick up the skills of those other jobs. And once a week, he would shift over just like once a week, we would take somebody from design build and we would put them in maintenance. And so the idea behind this is we begin to cross train people we're paying them a little bit more money. We're giving them a better sense of the business. And by the way, what you've just done is create a career path. So if you said to somebody, look, you come here, you got a great chance to be in a management job someday, and we have a process for how to train you to do that. And so what the T1 is, you want to cross train them in all the other areas of the business so they understand everything that you're doing. Now what you have is, let's move to supervisor level. You do the same thing with supervisors. You have a supervisor one and two. Now, the way we did it, Is we had crew leader and assistant crew leader. Assistant crew leader were T1s that we promoted up and what we now gave them is we put them in some leadership positions under the tutelage of the crew leader where they began to manage the flow of work and they began to manage people. And so as we talked earlier I would not pick my best technician necessarily for the for the assistant job. I would pick a good technician but somebody who had great people skills and what their job was in this particular case it was maintenance is to sit in the truck while the crew leader drives and ask questions about running the business and they would get trained when they were doing side-by-sides like that and so that later on what you have is somebody would be on the job site and the crew leader would basically allow them to run the job site giving them more and more responsibility until they could run jobs on their own and again what's the job here bring it in under budget we got an inventory we got a material list we got a labor list um, and and so you've got to bring it in once they get to the, the to the crew leader the foreman, the supervisor you pick the title now what I have is my management count, uh, candidates and just like when I was promoting technicians to put them in the assistant job I was looking for people not so much on a technical side but on a people side now when I have managers What I want to look for is not so much on technical or on human uh, skills or people skills. I'm now looking at people who are pretty smart conceptually and understand how the business operates because those are the people I want in a management position. And so who runs all the operations? Who runs all design build? You have to have a manager to run. If you're running four or five design build projects, somebody's got to run them because those managers, one person is not going to be able to manage the details and be on site you need a foreman or a crew leader on site to manage that they've got to report to a manager just like on maintenance if you've got 30 contracts or 40 con- commercial contracts on maintenance or how about you've got four or five distribution centers on snow and so you've got to manage all that so you you got a manager in that role what you want is somebody who understands the business much better and what their job is going to be is make, basically making the scheduling work so that's where we are um Hopefully you found this insightful. There's far more here than I possibly can do um, in this short. Whether it's in an article or in a podcast, so the smart move would be if you want to talk about this further. Uh, two ways you can do that. Number one is you can hit me up. Um, that's Bill Eastman, uh, and you can call me at eight three three R U Green. Eight three three R U G R E E N is our toll free number. Or you can write to me uh, through our Gmail account at greenmarkcoaching at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. If you've got any questions, you know how to get a hold of us. We'd love to help you. Take care and have a great day.